Welcome to Sheer Clarity, the show that will teach you about leadership by attraction, building self-awareness, and how to develop exceptional self-management abilities that will help you become more reflective, more open, more trusting, and more engaging with the people who matter to you most. In other words, make you a better leader. Head on over to SheerClarity.com where you can learn more, subscribe to the show for free, and connect on social media. And now, here's your host, Jay Kevin McHugh. Hey, everyone. Jay Kevin McHugh here with my producer, Matthew Passy. We're going to do another episode of Sheer Clarity. Today's a spontaneous episode, kind of throughout the game plan. And it's because I just got back from a meeting with a potential client, actually a referral. And they got my name from another client. And the context was... They're going on a retreat. They've not been on an annual gig for a while, or if at all. And they had this idea of doing something about the vision and the mission. And, you know, I've been through all this stuff from a bazillion times. So I ended up deciding, let's meet face to face. There were two executives, and they happened to be related as brothers. And these guys are in the 40-something category. They are ambitious and they are motivated. They are hungry and they have a tiger by the tail. So it's a lot of fun. I enjoy working with these folks. So when I sat down and I asked a few questions, it became clear to me that in their minds, what they thought they wanted to do may not have been completely articulated enough. And the next thing you know, within the space of 10 minutes, I'm hearing, we want to communicate better. We want to collaborate better. We want to build trust. There's new members on the team. We want them to know each other better. We have a big vision. We have a big goal. We want them to help articulate the vision and where are we going to be and how are we going to get there? And uh, before you know it, I've got culture, strategy, process, people, trust, team building, and it's a stew of confusion. The corporate jargon bingo. It sounds like you hit the entire card. <laughs> so I just thought maybe we ought to just, you and I have a great conversation about it because you've been in the corporate arena as well before you broke out to do your thing. And maybe we can sort of take that stew. I think it's a stew because so much of the stuff overlaps. You know, how you communicate is going to affect the culture and what the values are of the founders, the owners, the CEOs, who they are and how they roll. That affects the culture and the style and what's important, what's not important. And there's just the business entity itself and where it is and where it is in its evolution and its development. So there's a ton of stuff going on there. And to just plop everybody from your team into a room and call it a retreat or <laughs> team building or vision setting. I don't know if it gets it all that clear. And so I think we should talk about clarity with some of this stuff, how they all are mashed into a big soup, and then what's the goal? I guess I want my listeners to walk away being far more thoughtful about what it is they really are trying to accomplish when they gather a team of people. And how can we get our meetings and our retreats clarified, focused, and thinking in the right way? So that's the idea, and I'm hoping you like it because we're already started recording. <laughs> <laughs> it sounds like in order to have a practical and successful annual retreat and meeting, 
there has to be a meeting before the meeting in order to make sure that the meeting is on track. And yeah, like you said, if you go into one of these corporate retreats and you're throwing out the corporate jargon and you're listing all those different things that you just mentioned, you know, 40 different things we're going to accomplish, everyone's going to walk away feeling a sense of pressure. And that's not the goal. The goal isn't to feel angst. Well, yes, maybe you want to define the mission a little bit more smoothly. Maybe you want to talk about the values a little bit better. At the end of the day, the real goal is to connect with each other and to strengthen the bonds and the relationships. And you can't do that if you feel like you are under deadline. It's a homework assignment. It's got to feel more organic than that. Perfectly said. I think what you're touching on is the meeting before the meeting. That's kind of where I maybe we'll start the discussion here. It's always important to have an idea about what the goal is and what the mission is. And the once we end up articulating that, it sort of sent us down a path. Now, when you start adding layer after layer of goals, you start getting the waters muddy. So, you know, one goal might be to do a strategic plan. Well, strategic plan is not a one day deal. It takes time. You have to sort of dust it off and get a clean sheet of paper. You know, they call it whiteboarding for a reason, right? You have to do homework. You got to know where we are, where we've come from, what the history is, what's the market. There's a lot. That's strategic planning. There's a lot of info gathering, a lot of stage setting. But in that planning mode are people. You know, who are those people and how well do they know those people, know each other and how honest are they? And now we're back into a team situation. It's our team developed. So is it a strategic planning session or is it a team development session? If I'm looking at it, I would say the first thing I'd make sure I did when I asked myself, I would distinguish between a category, building a team and then everything else. The category of building a team to me is about relational connection and connectivity and having people in a place where they are getting a chance to know each other at a far more personal level than is usually common. And we may have talked about this way early when we started Sheer Clarity. We talked about the importance of trust. And in that regard, people can't build trust until they have an opportunity to get to know each other at a highly personal level. So when I look at a retreat, I basically say, let's go into the retreat without a big agenda. What's the goal of the retreat? Getting to know each other better. As you're saying, this is not about the whiteboarding. This is not about the laying out the pros and the cons and the value statement and forecasts and 10-year plans and all that different stuff. This is basically, I'm Matthew, you're Kevin. How do we strengthen our relationship, learn to trust each other, learn to be honest with each other, learn to exude more humility with each other, more appropriate vulnerability with each other? A lot of these are sounding like buzzwords from sheer clarity. Wonder why. And then you will, <laughs> once you have all of those pieces built up, then when you're having the meeting about those other pieces, that's right. you can do it a lot more effectively. So if you're starting out and you're trying to put together any kind of planning session before you do it, you've really got to check how well do people know each other? How well do they trust each other? How honest will they be? In the case that I'm speaking of, which was a referral in my first discussions with 
this prospect about what they wanted, I learned that in addition to everything else, they have people who are on their executive teams. These are C folks, right? CFO, CMO, CIO, the chief human resources officer. One or two of them have only been there two, three months. Another one's been there six months. Another one hasn't even started yet. <laughs> That's a fun meeting to walk into. <laughs> well, sure. And, you know, so my first counsel to them was, you know, you're not, you're not ready to have any kind of vision stuff. These folks don't even have context of what's really going on. Then that first six months for any executive, no matter how seasoned they are, they're going in there to establish, okay, what's the nature of what's really happening here? I got all the information from the interview and I got it, right? And I did my Google searching and I learned what I could and I read every press release, blah, blah, blah. Now I'm here. Now I'm going to get a feeling for what the real deal is, right? Before I start flexing any muscles. So what's the best way to do that? I mean, are we talking about going out into the woods and trust falls and those kinds of things. How do you team build? Not team retreat, strategic lines. All the, how do you build a team? Well, let me ask you a question. Sure. In your definition, what is a team? What are the characteristics of a team? What <laughs> do you think makes up a team? Like you're a big sports guy. I see your, shall I say, jets in the public arena. You can say it. It's Okay. Okay. I own it. <laughs> you watch your jets and you have opinions about it. So just wax philosophical for a minute. If you narrowed it down to the essence of everybody throws this word team around, what the heck does that mean? In terms of the relationships of the people on it, there's members, five of them, six of them, 10 of them, 11 of them. In a football sense, there's a roster of 53 of them. Only 11 are on the field at a given time, right? Okay, it's a team. So what does that mean? Damn it. I'm trying to clean up five years of selling construction equipment in New York and New Jersey. <laughs> oh, sure. Blame us here in the Northeast for your I'm potty. I'm telling mouth. you, all, that's all you need is three, four years schlepping around construction sites in New York City, Long Island, and northern New Jersey. Your language protocol sort of takes a really deep dive. It does explain why you whistled at me when we first got on the call this morning. But back to your question about what's a team. Here's the bottom line. What you do learn from there is there's no mincing of words. No one has to guess what you're really thinking. <laughs> hey, here's what you got to do right now or I'll kill you. And you know what? Maybe that's a great example of is a good team. It's a group of people all aligned with a sole focus and goal. In the case of your construction crew over there, the goal is to erect a building of sorts, whatever they're working on at the time, a bridge, a building, whatever that might be, and look out for the safety of each other. I mean, these folks are literally putting their lives in each other's hands. And so they have a very shared and unified set of goals. And so for any team, it really is a group moving together they might be doing different parts of it, but moving together to accomplish a goal or many goals. That's in the sports, win the championship. In the construction Super crew, Bowl. erect the building. In the corporate world, maybe it's make profits for whatever it is you're building. Okay. So at the minimum, 
clarity about a single purpose, a common goal. What does winning look like? There's a goal. It's out there. Here's the rules of the game. Plant the flag and do a high five and dance in the end zone. That's one part of a team. Got to have a goal. And we got to be all together on what the goal is. So let me ask you a question. What differentiates a team in the use of that word from a work group accomplishing the same thing? I can put together a group of people, give them job descriptions, give them their lanes, give their instruction manual, give their employee handbook, give them the blueprints, and just go follow these directions and do your job. And I think if you all just do your job, you'll get there. That's a work group. How would you differentiate a work group from a team? I don't think you would. I think it's a different way of saying the same thing. A work group might be more focused on a sub goal of the overarching goal of the company or the brand or whatever the overall organization. But you're putting this group of people together to say, hey, this piece needs to be taken care of. You're the group to take care of it, whether that means they've got to solve the problem or implement the strategy or you know whatever that is. I think it's still a group of people working towards a shared goal. Okay. So we are now going to digress. You and I are going to be in a different definition category. Now, I'm trying to connect this to when we started this podcast about the global sense of stew and we sort of like narrowed down and we're getting in a fine point about work groups and teams. And I want to make sure I'm thinking of the listeners in mind there. If you're out there listening, you're looking for gold, right? Like, is this worth my time? So let's make this distinction. From my standpoint, the difference between a work group and a team is they both get things done. They both assemble to get things done. They're, they're the same in that regard. Where I make a distinction is the level at which the people care about each other individually and personally. I think in a team, people come together, and in addition to just being agreed upon the mission and the goal, there's a level of commitment to each other and caring that is not necessarily present in a work group. I can come to work, punch in the clock, do my job, punch out, and I don't necessarily have to know any of these people on a personal level, and we still get the mission accomplished. However, when I'm in a group of people who assemble and get to know each other, know each other personally, know a little bit of each other's story, knows enough from another individual about, you know, I got a sick kid at home or my mom's dying or whatever it is, I start caring about them. And the differentiator is when the work group is coming together, I can pretty much focus on my job and that's what I have to worry about. And if everybody does it, in theory, we'll get to the finish line. But as you know, there's never anything that goes according to plan. Now, how do we behave when things aren't going well and somebody's struggling with their job and they made a mistake or the instructions were wrong or it was unclear or no one told me there was going to be another pipe running through this hole I'm supposed to dig. Now I got to figure out what we're going to do with it. It's not on the blueprints. I believe five people who don't have that job, who are standing around the hole, who actually have other things they need to do for them to care enough about Joe, who's got a new problem, and to say, how can we help you? That's the differentiator for me and a team, is not only do I care about my outcome in my getting my piece done, but I care about the whole team, and I care about the people in the team. And that kind of caring, I believe, 
creates a level of trust that makes things go better when plans aren't coming together. So that takes me back then to the original question is how do you build that relationships? How do you build those relationships? How do you build that trust? Let's go back to the retreat. You place people in a condition where let's take your idea of a trust fall, which the, I hate these things. I want to get the high-speed camera one day, and I'm going to have a group take the trust fall. And then while that's happening, we're going to have the high-speed camera doing a 1,000 shots a second, right? And then we're going to play them back, and we're going to look real closely and find out who had their hands up appearing to be catching when actually there was a good inch and a half of space between the back of the person they were supposed to catch in the palm of their hands because they actually can't stand that guy. I don't even <laughs> want to touch him. And the trust fall is crap. That's what I feel like. Yay. High five. Right. I can tell you right now, if there's any subterranean resentments that are going on, the guy with the resentments who hates the guy who's fallen in, it just is going to make a good look at it. It's yeah, uh, no one can tell, but with my fancy microscopic high speed camera, I can catch a fake trust fall maneuver anytime. We'll pull out the NFL cams and super slow 360. Slow. -mo. The answer to your question is how do I get it? I think my answer is, and I've been doing it for a long time, I put people into a day-long session where we'll start with easy, low sort of risk revelation slash disclosure exercises. So let's just use the word disclosure as part of it. It will also get back to vulnerability. How much will I show of myself and my truth? And the way I do it is I have everybody do these personality assessments, which everyone today is fairly well acquainted with. Disc assessments is just one. There's a million of them. But when you actually take your results and you then sit in a group of people and everybody's sharing their results, then you ask them a question about the results and you ask them the questions like, so tell me two things that you saw that are absolutely true. And they sort of look at their profile and they go, oh, I'm high dominance. I'm competitive and I'm confident and I'm bold and I'm daring. And, and I said, great, you know, that's wonderful. And I said, now tell me the exact same measurements and what it says and tell me how it's not so good. Tell me why it's not attractive. And they sort of look and I go, come on, you can do this. Well... I guess if I look further, I can see that I don't listen well. I'm really impatient. I can be overly intense. I am critical and judgmental, and I'm sometimes lacking sensitivity. Did you miss the part about ego and arrogant? <laughs> oh, yeah, it's here. I just thought that was enough. I didn't need to go all the way. When you do that in front of your colleagues, it opens up a door. And that's, you're asking me, how do you make this happen? You start with a purpose to get people to be more honest about the less attractive sides of themselves and what it is normally I wouldn't share with anybody. Well, now that I've got people who are being conscious, and I just use a benign thing. It's a document. It's a 40-page report, and it's got people talking about it. That's the warm-up for them to get them acquainted with not being afraid, being disclosing, revealing the results of your profile. You know, people who use these assessments are strong, committed to it. They'll actually start hanging 
graphs and reports outside their offices and cubicles. So before people walk in, they go, hey, I'm walking into a high D, low S, right? So I got to get tuned up and prepared for this. Now, that is going to set up what's happening next. What's next is an afternoon I call getting to know you. And I tell everybody, you know, you got 15 minutes. Tell a little bit about your story about growing up. And the questions are designed so they start fairly benign. Where did you grow up? What did your family look like? Did you have siblings? What does your memory of the house look like? What were some of the positive, memorable things as a child? And was there anything that was challenging? And then I fast forward them to today. Tell us about your family structure today and how that works. And is there the highlight of what family life looks like? And then I go to the opposite side and I say, tell us something that may be keeping you up at night or that challenges you or something you're concerned about. These are just moments of little windows of revelation or disclosure where somebody gets a chance to say, okay, I'll open my heart and I'll let myself be known. And that creates a level of connection which never happens any other way. The answer to your question is, how do we do this? How do we get people to connect personally? Is for people to open their hearts and be prepared to share things that make you moderately, appropriately vulnerable. And then you experience that people love you anyway and accept you and get it. You suddenly feel closeness. Now, with that closeness in mind, and then I put you together to overcome a goal or or an obstacle, overcome an obstacle, it's different when you encounter trouble and issues. The spirit and intention of trying to help each other win, not just for my sake so I can get my bonus, but for their sake. And I imagine all of this has to start at the top. You can't put everybody in this group, turn to your third in command and be like, all right, you go first. What? You have to step up to the plate and set the example, lead. Yeah, and actually, I'll make a judgment if I'm interviewing clients. I mean, they're interviewing me, of course, but I'm also interviewing them. I don't know where they are on their evolution. But, you know, when I hear a client say, we need to do some of that team building crap, I immediately go like, that's probably not my kind of client. (laughs) Or... My people have been jammering all like, we need to do a team building session. I don't know. How much does that cost? <laughs> I go, okay. Clearly into it. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I don't think this isn't going to work well. Or they'll say, why don't you just work with the team? Where are you going to be? I don't need to be there. Okay. Oh, uh-huh. Wrong guy. Yeah. <laughs> Develop their skills for me. Oh, okay. You don't want to be there. Nah. <laughs> so I want to harken back to the beginning of our episode where, you know, I had this meeting with this potential client. One of the things that I wanted to make a point about is in the space of 20 minutes, all the things that they wanted to do in a single gathering were like all big things, strategic vision, mission, collaboration, communication, integration, alignment, team building, trust building, want to have fun. I mean, you got to have fun. It was so big, you know, it was really, really so big. 
And I said, we should start at the basics since a lot of them are new. Let's get together and know each other. The other thing that I find fascinating in closely held businesses is this, you know, you want to get everybody together to develop vision. And I tend to say, well, what's yours? Because you're it, like you're driving. This is your business. Where do you want to be when you grow up? And, you know, asking who do we want to be when we grow up actually should start with who do you want to be when you grow up? Because as you go, they go. And after you figure out who you want to be when you grow up, we'll go tell them and ask them if they want to be part of that. That makes more sense to me than trying to put a group of people into some room to kind of make a vision. It'll drive you crazy. I remember one of my first clients on the podcast, we actually sat down. She interviewed Greg Norman, famed golfer, has a built a world-class brand. And apparently one of the things that he asks of everybody and what they think about is, where do they see the company in a hundred years? Yeah, that's awesome. And the idea being is that, well, in a hundred years, obviously none of them will be around, right? No one is going to be 150, 160, whatever it might be. But if you can envision what you are building, what the goals are, where this project campaign, whatever, where this is going to be in a hundred years from now, gives you an amazing perspective on what it is you're doing, right? If you build the podcast company, well, in 10 years from now, podcasts might not be a thing, right? Or if you build the horse and buggy company, well, we know that's not a thing anymore. But if you build a media company, media is always going to be around. If you build a transportation company, things always have to get moved, right? You have to think about a broader vision for everything. And so I guess in that question that you're asking, it's what am I going to be when I grow up? What is this company? What is this asset? What is this project going to be when it grows up and think long term. You know, it's fascinating what you triggered to me is I remember I've done work in the telecommunications companies and from deregulation, I don't remember when this is, this would be in the 90s maybe, it set that whole industry on fire with all sorts of change and consolidation on any given day. I watch some organizations that maybe in telecom equipment, right? And they're only making some parts and networking bridge or whatever. They've gone through so many iterations of who they belong to and who owns me and how it works that it's really hard for that kind of organization to feel anything that resembles a hundred years. Like we're just surviving the latest takeover. We're just surviving the latest integration. We're, it's so hard in some places where change is just wrapping itself around you. So, you know, again, thinking of the listeners in this context and when we started is I just want to encourage my clients to be clear about what you're looking for when you decide to get everybody together. And then I would prioritize, far and away, prioritize having people in exercises and spaces where they get to increase their relational capital with each other, where they get to build really, really deep bonds of caring and friendship leading to trust, and then we'll tackle the business issues, whether it be where you're going to be in 100 years, where you're going to be in 10 years, or where are the top five incredible obstacles this company routinely trips over to get things done that we're going to fix this year. 
it's just incredibly important and always will come down to the base of how people feel, not only about themselves, but about each other. And when you're leading that kind of organization, you know, I just had a retreat with a client and I got four brand new kind of C-suite folks who were getting to know each other and change is big and happening fast. And there's a new CEO on board and to watch them come together, right? And they are in high octane business, fast moving, super smart, nothing is stable. And yet when we've sat them down long enough to get to know each other, they built some connection. So all the changes that are coming and all the stuff that's coming, they're doing it from a platform of they've accelerated their trust of each other and they know who this is much more clearly than they would have had we not done this two days together. So be clear. And when you have a big stew pot and you can hear yourself saying, I want everything, I want more accountability. I want better lines of communication. I want to have a lot of collaboration. I want to make sure people trust each other. I want to have a vision for the future. I want to go, who do I want to be when we grow up? We need a strategic plan. I'm like, ah, uh, okay, stop. Look at the stew. Would somebody pick out the potatoes? Let's just get the <laughs> potatoes. Or as I like to say in New England, potatoes. Potatoes. It starts with a b, duh, potato. <laughs> At least that's what I recall when I lived in Massachusetts, but it is, man, just separate out what you want. And once you've got, I need a strategic plan. I need an operating plan. I need a process review. I need quality improvement. I need people to collaborate better. I need more communication. Okay. Separate stew beef, onions, carrots, potatoes, eventually they'll be back in the stew together. But when I come together, let's get a focus. And in order of priority, if you were lining up the bowls of ingredients, put relationships first. I think it makes a ton of sense. And I think a lot of the things that we have talked about on the show leading up to this point have been about how to build better relationships. And so if you're just listening to this for the first time, go back and start from the beginning and learn about trust and honesty and appropriate vulnerability and humility and all these different things that are going to make you a better character. And so you'll be able to really grow and display the kind of leadership that is necessary to build these relationships, to build this trust, to give everybody else the power to behave the same way that you're behaving. And so an easy way to do that is go back, check out SheerClarity.com, listen to old episodes, follow us on social media, and contact us. Please let us know how this is helping you, if this is helping you. Email Kevin at SheerClarity.com or check out the website, SheerClarity.com. There's a contact form right there. And as always, thank you for joining us, and we will see you next time on Sheer Clarity. <music>